I'm Linda. And I'm Craig. And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com. This week we are talking all about Kuala Lumpur, one of the most visited cities that we've been to in Southeast Asia. Yeah, we've been there three times, so that's, uh, that's definitely our record. <laughs> yeah, sure is. This week's been a bit of a quiet one for us. We've been spending lots of time behind the screens and also enjoying some of the nicer weather that's been coming through. Well, yeah, and the crap weather that's also been hanging around as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we haven't been enjoying that side of things so much. It's quite changeable here. We've had some really, really nice days. I think oh, about 10 days ago, there were two scorches, 32, 33 degrees. And then, well, it's just packed in again. Today it's been raining and stormy, windy. Not too pleasant, really. No. Well, travel insurance is essential if you're traveling, and if you're looking at getting travel insurance soon, make sure you check out IndieTravelPodcast.com slash insurance. We've got some podcasts, some things to look out for, and quick quote options as well from our partners. We use them to get our travel insurance, and we do pick up a commission if you book your insurance through IndieTravelPodcast.com slash insurance. So uh, that would be great. Yeah. So on to KL. Well, we've been to KL twice more since our first visit, so we've been there three times. And uh, we did a podcast on it, what, about three years ago? Yeah, it was sometime in 2009, so... So we thought it was time for, a, for an update. Yes, absolutely. KL revisited. Yeah, this most recent time we stayed with couchsurfing host Dexter and Natalie, and we also caught up with Gerard and Q from GQTrippin.com. So it was a very social time, and we did a lot of stuff that I think we wouldn't normally do. Yeah, I think this time we wanted to hang out with locals, because the first time we went, we it was our first couchsurfing experience, actually, although kind of a cheating one, because it was an ex-student of Craig's that we stayed with. And the second time we, we stayed with another couchsurfing host, but she was from Austria. This time we actively searched out a local Malaysian person, and that's why we ended up staying with um, um, Dexter and Natalie. And they were really lovely. It was awesome. Unfortunately, they lived a little bit out of town, so we couldn't stay with them the first night nor the last night because uh, there was just no transport to get to their, their small suburb late at night and early in the morning. We ended up staying in a nice hostel. It was well-located and quite cheap. We got upgraded to a private room the first night and ended up staying in the same private room when we came back because it was quite good value. Accommodation in KL is pretty cheap overall. I guess we'll talk about more about this. Accommodation in KL is amazingly cheap overall and good value for money, but I guess we'll come back to that in a little while. Um, first of all, let's talk about what the city's like for those of you that have never been there and, and never really read up about it. Well, KL is a bustling international city. It's the capital of Malaysia, and it's sometimes described as Asia light because, well, it's Asia, but it's not quite as culturally surprising or shocking or overwhelming as other cities might be. Yeah, I guess along with Singapore, there's a lot of modern Western influence in the city. And I don't think it's what people think of when they think about going to Southeast Asia. You imagine the kind of the, the chaos and, and I don't know, the, the madness of, yeah. of Asia. Um, Chaos is a lot more organized than, say, Ho Chi Minh City. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking, actually, of crossing the road in Ho Chi Minh, where you <laughs> kind of walk towards your goal and, <laughs> and, 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 and pray. And um, yeah, whereas, you know, people use traffic lights in Kuala Lumpur. Yeah, it's, it's really nice. The reason we've been through it so many times is that it's a logical stopping point for long-haul flights. So if you're coming from New Zealand or Australia... It's, an, it's a hub. So you can fly to KL, or, I mean, there's lots of other options. You could go to Hong Kong or Singapore or all sorts of other places. We've usually chosen KL because it's been cheaper. 
and uh, that's been quite good for us because <laughs> we don't want to pay so much for flights. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a, a fair few budget airlines that are based in KL, and they do have two airports. They've got a their, their fully featured international airport, and also um, which is KLIA, and they've also got the low cost carrier um, airport as well. So it yeah. it just uh, makes sense. Neither of, which, neither of those airports are located very close to the city. I think the, the low-cost carrier terminal is about an hour and a half by bus from mm. the city, but it's cheap. It's cheap to get in, so it's not such a big deal. you just got to add 90 minutes on to your travel time. <laughs> yep. Well, I think because of its pretty modern and efficient infrastructure and because it is so multicultural with a, with a mix of... Um, Malaysians, Indians, Chinese, and also the British influence that's been around for a long time. It's a great introduction to Southeast Asia. If you're not sure you can handle the the craziness that people keep telling you Asia's like, it's a good way to kind of get in, you know, get yeah. your feet wet, see if you like it or see if you're overwhelmed, and then you can make your choices from there. And I think most people decide to to go from there and into places like India, which are a lot more intense, or, you know, kind of get accustomed and then head out to, to Thailand or Vietnam. Yeah, in KL, you've still got a lot of the Western conveniences, regular toilets, none of these, well, they're around, you can go and use a squat toilet if you want, but there are normal toilets that you'll be used to, and supermarkets, if you're not quite ready for haggling in markets and that kind of thing. Hmm. But that's not as much fun, is it? (laughs) (laughs) Just slowly, slowly. (laughs) Well, there's a huge range of accommodation available in KL. Um, Couch surfing is really popular, which is it isn't everywhere in Asia, so that's great. Um, The hostels range from dirt cheap and dirty, um, about five to six US dollars a night, about 12 baht, 13 baht for the cheapest of the cheap hostels. Um, but it's probably worth moving up from there and getting a room with air conditioning at the very least. Or a fan, even just a fan will do. Yeah, it's it's normally muggy and it's normally quite hot on top of that. We were um, there in early March and or late February yeah. and it wasn't too hot then. It was quite a good time of year to go. Yeah, we still had the fans on oh, yeah. all of the time and things like that, though. But, yeah, we weren't quite at, oh, my God, I'm going to die <laughs> kind of level, which we have been in the past. We've really loved the air conditioning in uh, yeah. some of our previous stops. Um, Kale's also got the – it's one of the cheapest places in the world to stay at a five-star hotel. Wow. So if you do want to splurge um, while, while you're in Asia, that's a, a good option. If you want to go and see what a Western or a Hilton hotel is like, um, as yeah. a chance. <laughs> I would it. strongly recommend, when you're booking a hostel, read the information very carefully. Because we had a not a terrible experience, but a not very good experience. Where mm. We booked a, a two-bed dorm, thinking that, awesome, we'd have a private room. But it was just a kind of little, I don't know how to explain it, it was... We're in a large dormitory room, but there were plastic walls between each of the bunk beds in the dormitory. Yeah, so, so you could hear everything. Everyone was in the same room. Yeah. But you was... had your own little private plasticky door that locked, but it wasn't a well, private room at all. Yes, and a door with a plastic lock is not really uh, the security that we expected from our private dorm room. So yeah, you're right. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So read the comments because when I went back and had a look at the comments, I mm-hmm. had read a few of them. But if I'd scrolled down a bit further, I would have seen that the two-bed dorm was a scam, basically. That was pretty nasty. Um, you can check out accommodation at indietravelpodcast.com slash accommodation. And uh, if you book hostels or hotels through there, then we get a commission and the show keeps running. So that's nice. Thanks for doing that. One of the things I love most about Kale is the food. It's awesome. It's so good. There's a huge range of food, uh, from street hawkers to five-star restaurants. I still remember when I was, what, like 11... We went on a family holiday to Kuala Lumpur and I still remember just being overwhelmed by all the different types of food and having street food just bought from street hawkers and everything. It was great. And I still love to do it. Every time we go back, we go out and buy things on sticks and it's it's fantastic. Yeah, there's a couple of places that uh, we, I guess, end up going back to now again and again um once the peddling street market which is uh part of chinatown there's a little food court in there that we visit time after time and then in jelana law there's um kind of street restaurants um spread out everywhere which are delicious as well yeah there's places where you can sit down and there's places you can just take something to take away so it's up to you but the prices are great and the service is good too I guess alcohol is reasonably expensive, especially when compared with Kuala Lumpur's neighbours, well, Malaysia's neighbours, really. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tax reason and also because of the large Muslim population, which don't drink. Yeah, I mean, we wanted to go out and get a bottle of wine and it was just prohibitively expensive. Didn't we, wasn't it there that we took a photo of that yellowtail and it was just ludicrous how expensive it was. We just laughed. It was like 50 Australian... We worked out to 50 Australian dollars yeah. for this bottle of $7 wine. Oh, no, I think that was Hong Kong. That it was the most expensive. But, yeah, through Asia we started a little photo collection of what a rip-off yellowtail wine is, <laughs> which is a, a mass-produced, pretty average, to be polite wine and yeah extreme pricing it was amazing extreme pricing so we didn't drink a lot of wine there but beer isn't too bad it's not as bad as as wine obviously but if you want to drink you should definitely drink juice okay it's not alcoholic but it is very very good and very tasty so yeah i would recommend it we always when we go to chinatown we go to that little food court and get a fresh juice Mm. oh delicious and one thing that we should point out is that the ice is fine everyone always says don't don't have ice in your drinks, but the ice in KL is um, brought in from a factory where they use fresh water, mm. clean water, and so it's perfectly okay to have ice in your drinks. Yeah, and and we even from the street stalls. In fact, especially from the street stalls yeah. because you know that they're buying their ice from this factory. And we were drinking water out of the tap, and I have every time we've been to KL and not experienced anything any problems no, so your, your mileage might vary and always ask residents of that neighborhood if the water's safe to drink mm-hmm. but i don't know i i hate buying bottled water and avoid it whenever i can but it's not too expensive i mean we did buy a couple of bottles just because we were out mm. and we've been walking for an hour and we're completely dehydrated and hadn't well, we didn't have a bottle with us because we just arrived from the airport and uh hadn't brought any bottles through security with us so it was good to buy a, a 1.5 litre bottle and just scull it. Absolutely. We've talked about um, the, the markets at Jalana Law and at um, Petaling Jaya. The other place that's interesting to eat is Little India, which oh, we yeah. went to for the first time on our most recent trip this year. And 
gosh, it was an interesting street, wasn't it? Yeah, so many different restaurants. And then lots of tailors as well, where you could go and get things fixed or buy a salwa kameez or whatever you wanted. It was quite surreal. Yeah, the the population is is really, I don't know, divided up uh, strongly along racial lines. I mean, yeah. there's the, the native Malaysians, the Chinese Malaysians, and the Indian Malaysians, and it's it's pretty segregated and institutionalized these differences down to what school you go to yeah. and things like that. So the the good thing I guess that comes out of that is this mixture of all of the foods coming mm-hmm. together. When we were staying with Dexter and Natalie, they took us out for breakfast to just a, a regular I don't know, street side restaurant. Mm. No, a dim sum place. Yeah, dim sum place. And we had porridge for breakfast, which sounds quite normal for Western listeners. I mean, we have porridge for breakfast in winter quite often. It was nothing like that. Nothing, nothing like that at all. It was rice porridge. And it was odd. Disgusting, I think, is what you're trying to say. (laughs) It wasn't disgusting, but I don't think I'll choose it again. It wasn't quite to our taste. Kind of, I don't know, leggy and slimy and mm, odd. Yeah, yeah. I like the dim sums though. They were very delicious. Yeah, we had a lot of dim sum, which was good. <laughs> but yeah, that that porridge is definitely a cultural experience. So you should give it a go. Yeah, definitely worth a go. And you can get it with different things in, like lumps of pork or tofu, mm. whatever you want, really. Big, big blobs of fat. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, yeah, slight cultural difference for me <laughs> we've never been but port clang about an hour out of the city is meant to be the place for seafood like buying your whole crabs and beautiful stews and shellfish and everything like that so that's probably worth reading up more about and checking out uh and eatdrinkkl.blogspot.com is a great little blog and there's so many very specific food recommendations and restaurant recommendations there Yum. <laughs> so transport, well, as we previously said, KL is a huge, sprawling city, and most KL residents get around by car. Only about 16% use public transport. Well, it's a bit of a pity, because the public transport network is quite good, and if more people used it, it would be even better. Unfortunately, it's not integrated, so there's lots of different lines and things that don't really fit together, and there's lots of different prices which can be hard to get your head around, Mm. but uniformly quite cheap. For budget travellers, the public transport is really going to do everything you need to, although the taxis are pretty good as well. But anywhere you want to go won't cost more than a couple of ringgit. And so you just show up at a station and buy your token and jump on the monorail or um, jump on a bus. Yeah, and there's trains as well. Yeah, it does help to have small money handy for these. So if you're uh, buying food or buying anything else around the place, make sure you keep those small notes and coins for public transport, and that makes your life a whole lot easier. For the monorail and most of the trains, there's a machine at the stations Mm. that you can use, and they generally only accept coins, so it's worth having coins. Uh, Although there often is an attendant there, at most stations there always is, but we did go to one recently in the... Um, the attendance station was closed and I kind of had to get someone's attention because we didn't have any any coins. So it's really worth having coins with you at all times. Well, we're going to look at some attractions. Uh, We'll look at free attractions, seasonal attractions, and then paid attractions so you can take your pick of what catches your eye. Uh, In the city, the Patronus Towers are definitely worth a visit. They are tall, probably the, the tallest twin towers in the world. 
and you can visit the Skybridge, which is about halfway up, for free. You do have to get there early in the morning, though, in order to kind of pick up your ticket, and you'll be given a time slot to come back to. There is lots of stuff to do around there, so if you do get one of the, the late morning tickets, then that's okay, it's not too bad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, we recommend you go there around 8 o'clock or 8.30, get in line, get your ticket, mm. see what time your ticket is for. Yeah, and, and then, then you can make a plan. Then you can make a plan. I mean, there's a big shopping centre right there if you want to go shopping. Otherwise, there's a nice big garden. You can go out and get your photo taken. We didn't have to wait very long at all, actually, did we? No, we were lucky. I think it was just the day we were on. But we were in and up within about 45 minutes mm-hmm. or an hour from, yeah. from when we walked in the door. So that was really cool. Um, Petronas is the national petroleum company um, doing, you know, gas and petrol and all of that kind of stuff. And the funny thing is you it's, it's free, but you get given this 20-minute um, propaganda film about how petrol is good and how, you know, they pay for everything and employ all of these people. And it's hilarious. It's, it's it educational. Is, it is educational. And, um, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's like any kind, it's like BP or Shell kind of advertising and, and telling you how good deep sea oil drilling is. Yeah. Like, woohoo. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's good fun and you get up there and have got a great view over the city. Another good region to visit is the Golden Triangle. It's uh, the area for high class shopping and Chinatown and Little India are both located inside the Golden Triangle. Uh, There's tourist markets and ethnic restaurants there, but be aware that both of these areas are pretty much set up for tourists. So they want you to come in and spend your money there, Mm. which is fine because, you know, there are things to buy and there's, uh, you know, it's a good place for souvenirs. But, yeah, don't expect to get anything really unique. And then there's the, the big, 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 almost magical world of the super malls. Uh, We've already mentioned the one that's under the Patronus Towers. Then there are ones like Fahrenheit or Pavilion. And Pavilion is insane. It's mad. It's enormous. And it's beautiful and clean and air-conditioned with these huge stores. And hardly any people. I mean, there are people, but it's really, really expensive. Things like (laughs) Louis Vuitton. Every time we've gone, we've seen more... uh, On some of the more prestigious floors, uh, we've seen more security guards than shoppers. Yeah, not even joking. (laughs) And it is... Yeah, it's a different world. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a good place to go if you're hot. Different world. Find a cafe, relax, enjoy the air conditioning. Yep. But uh, I wouldn't. And then you can choke over your bill and, <laughs> and leave again. Yeah, absolutely mad, but worth visiting just to see what what they're like. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd head down to Chowkit instead for the local food markets, and then the central market for pretty good. Uh, Malaysian souvenirs. Once again, there's there's a balance of the mass produced, and well, an overbalance of the mass produced yes. rather than the the more authentic stuff. But still, good souvenirs. And the good thing about the central market market is that it's indoors and air conditioned. Yeah. So if you're feeling a bit overwhelmed by the heat down in Chinatown, it's only about a five minute walk away, and you can relax. Mm. And there's also one of the branches of uh, the white coffee. coffee oh yes. House. What's it called? Old Town... Old, Old Town White Coffee. Yeah, Old Town White Coffee, which is an interesting experience in itself. Yeah. All it's the a... coffee they serve is white, and it's not milk that makes it white. It's just a, the process they put it through. Mm. And um, 
Well, they use condensed milk, don't they? And they also, when they're roasting the beans, they roast it with something else. It's, it's a magical, mystical thing. You have to go there and read the information to, yeah. to really find out about it. It was good. But it tastes good. So good. Um, the Kale Drum Circle is a real blast. Uh, you can head along on Sunday afternoons um, by the, the Lake Gardens to the Tugu Monument. And you can either watch or, or join in, but a whole lot of percussionists get together and bring big drums and just sit and, and play yeah. for for hours and hours. And, and they're really friendly. They invite you to, to join in and like show you the, the the moves and get you to get a rhythm going. It's fun. It's yeah, really that was cool. And we ended up going out for dinner with the founder and about half the circle. Um, after things wrapped up, so it was a it was a really a warm and wonderful kind of experience. So I'd definitely go and check that out. And another thing that's definitely worth doing: about an hour or so out of the city by bus are the impressive Batu Caves. There's an immense staircase which leads up to a cavernous cave at the top, and uh, it's it's awesome. There's lots of monkeys kind of scuttling <laughs> down the stairs, yeah. and when you get up to the top, there's a really cool view looking out. And, uh, yeah, it's good. It is. Uh, we've got some video of the Batu Caves, actually, on the site. So, um, IndieTravelPodcast.com and do a search for the Batu Caves, and you'll be able to find that video. It was a really interesting place. Speaking of the Batu Caves, it's also home to the Taipu Sam in Malaysia. It's one of KL's best-known seasonal attractions. In January or February each year, tens of thousands of tourists come to watch, and uh, over a million Hindu devotees celebrate this, this ancient rite. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'd want to watch it myself. Because, <laughs> um, they, they've made a pledge to the god of war to, to perform Kavadiyatam, which is a dance involving physical burdens. Uh, it's like a journey from the city centre to the caves with flagellation. Yeah, I, it's, it's one of these crazy, crazy things. You'll see people with um, steel barbs poked through their face or through their arm, people that will travel hundreds of kilometres on their knees or on their hands and knees. Um, You know, a a lot of self-harm for this kind of religious... Not nirvana, it's not quite the right word, but, yeah, as part of their, their devotion. And it's... For me, it's quite crazy. Yeah, I wouldn't. I don't think I want to watch it. Yeah, but a lot of people do. If you're a bit squeamish or <laughs> not that keen on typism, um, Chinese New Year is a much big better, event for KL. <laughs> it's a bit more lighthearted. So it happens in late January to mid-February, depending on when Chinese New Year falls. Uh, so they're based, both typism and Chinese New Year are based on lunar calendars, so there'll be different dates each year. Unsurprisingly, the uh, the celebrations centre around Chinatown and Petaling Street. Mm. Not not much of a surprise. That really is it. <laughs> Chinese New Year, Chinatown, yeah, small connection. Yeah. Well, we've talked about the big mega malls, and there are three massive shopping events each year where people fly in from all over the place, and I mean all over the place. Uh, March, May, and December for these massive discounts, massive sales, and it's kind of region-wide. People fly in from the Middle East and from wow. all over Asia to uh, to come down. And it's part of the tourism board's kind of PR thing to to up its profile as a shopping destination. And well, it, it seems to be working. It really works. Really works. 
So paid attractions. Well, the KL Tower, the Minara KL Tower, is a really good place to go for high views of the city. So you go up the tower and you can see absolutely everything. And considering it's situated on a hill, it's even better. Um, yeah, at the bottom of KL Tower is uh, Bukit Bintang, which is a forest, and it's worth a visit. Uh, there's regular tours that go through there, but you can walk through yourself as well. And that's and free, go there yourself. <laughs> <laughs> in the wrong place, we should have mentioned it earlier. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and there's a chance that you might see monkeys or other Malaysian wildlife as you pass through there, although we have never been lucky enough to. No, I just saw one monkey. Thanks. <laughs> The Aquaria KLCC is located right next to the Petronas Towers, and it's a huge complex with thousands of species of fish, and also a few not-fish species. <laughs> yeah, there were. we went this time for the first time, and we're quite surprised to, after you kind of pass through a few fish tanks, all of a sudden there was a giant rat, like yeah. a four-foot-long rat-type creature. Oh yeah, there were heaps of South American creatures and ones we'd seen in South America. Yeah, yeah. Like that one that we saw at the um at the Iguazu Falls. Yeah. And the Carpincho. Yeah. Well, that was that was a big display there, yeah. Carpincho. I think we saw it being fed, it was very exciting. Yeah. However, it's you know, we we had last seen it in Paraguay <laughs> <laughs> where it belongs. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't have put the aquarium well, I mean fine, yes. KL, no problem. But the aquarium in KL, you know, it's it's a species of rat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's worth a visit. I think it would be especially good for families, although it's worth an hour or so, especially mm-hmm. if you're waiting to go up the Petronas Towers. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's right there. It's right there. Um, if you don't want to go shopping and you want to stay inside, then it's perfect. Yeah, it was good, a bit, it was, good way to use up a couple of hours. It was one of the more expensive attractions. Mm. So if you're short on cash, I'd skip it. But uh, if you've got a bit of cash, then go for it. Yeah. One thing I wouldn't skip is the Islamic Arts Museum. I thought it was fantastic. Mm. It was one it was of really my big highlights of Definitely. the uh, the second trip that we did. And I think because it was unexpected. Yes. We, we had no preconceived ideas about what it was going to be like, and it was really good. Yeah. It was about three floors, and there were just all of these beautiful fabrics, jewels, metalwork... Um, the calligraphy the calligraphy the books were really beautiful fantastic Um, so yeah that was awesome and it's close to the the KL Bird Park and the Butterfly Park and the Planetarium so there's a whole complex of things in an area maybe a kilometre or so square Mm -hmm. not that we've been to those other places we're we're saving them for next time (laughs) (laughs) absolutely well if you're looking for a guidebook um, there's a lot to choose from. Uh, Lonely Planet has Lonely Planet Kuala Lumpur, Malacca and Penang. Um, they've got one on Malaysia, Singapore and Brunei. And um, because we think you should go everywhere, um, the Asia on a shoestring yep. works. It's got enough information to, to get your own KL. Uh, you could also go with DK Eitwin's Travel Guides. They have a good Malaysia and Singapore book. Or if you're a fan of Rough Guides, try the Rough Guide to Malaysia, Singapore and Brunei. Yeah, it's interesting that those often get kind of clumped in together, but I guess it makes a lot of geographical sense, Yeah, even though the, the travel styles are quite different. It really depends on how long you're staying for. I mean, we've never stayed mm. longer than five days, so we've never bought a guidebook. 
and I'd probably be more inclined to use online information. So I'd recommend going to travelfish.org because that's the place for travel information in Southeast Asia. Um, because, I don't know, you can arrive and get a lot of information once you get there. There's, the tourist information office has lots of good information. Mm. But to get you prepared before you go, yeah, travelfish.org. Uh, well, where to next? If you've just arrived in Malaysia, you should do what we haven't, and that's <laughs> explore a bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, Malaysia extends up from the, the Malaysian Peninsula, and then there's Malaysian Borneo as well, and lots of islands, and I'd love to go up to the, the coffee plantations and things like that, yeah, and cool. get up to Georgetown, and I mean, there's a lot of beautiful places to go. By land, you can travel south to Singapore, or perhaps you could fly in south, into Singapore and travel up to KL and then mm. continue north to Thailand. There are both buses and trains, so just take your pick. Otherwise, KL is the hub for budget airline AirAsia, so the world is wide open. Yeah, even though not so open as it used to be, because no. they've uh, recently closed their routes to New Zealand, to Paris, to London. And so, uh, yeah, Europe to Asia is not as cheap as it once was. No, that's a pity because we have used it. We've used the, the London to KL route and twice yep. there and back and also from Christchurch to KL. But when we came from London to KL, we got a really, really cheap deal up to um, Vietnam. So if you're coming into KL, you can get really, really good prices yeah. on, on these short hops of an hour or so. Yeah, we picked up a sale and I think we both flew for about 12 US dollars, including oh, taxes Chris. over to Vietnam. I think so. we just paid taxes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but the taxes weren't that high. So it was brilliant. Um, something to note, by law, visitors have to carry their passports with them at all times and spot checks may be carried out. It's so unlikely to happen. And as always, this could always be a scam. It mm -hmm. could always be a fake police officer. So don't flash your passport around. Um, consider carrying a photocopy with you. So you've got something to prove it and some other photo ID. Um, but the KL, well, Malaysia is on, uh, on the International Human Rights Watch over issues around this. So, um, it's best not to aggravate people. <laughs> yeah. But if you're unsure, just insist on being taken to a police station before yeah, handing over your passport. That's right. I recommend in this case, this is a good, a good opportunity for you to wear a money belt. You've got your money belt around your waist with your passport in it. Yep. which, of course, you're not going to take out under any circumstances. If you have to show it, go to the police station. That's a safe place to, to go into it. Mm. Well, let's see what people have to say about Kuala Lumpur on the Indie Travel Podcast comments. Well, Jesse was asking about the handicap accessibility around KL. And even though it is better than many Asian cities, it's still pretty rough, I'm afraid, Jesse. Yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't choose it as a number one destination because getting up to some of the uh, the transport st stops, like the monorail, they don't all seem to have accessibility. No. It's not really easy to find. You know how in some cities you've got like a little icon to say if it's wheelchair accessible? There's nothing like that that I remember. No, and while there are lifts, um, there's definitely a lot more stairs. There's a lot of broken pavements and things like that. So possible certainly not easy ever also mentioned that the lake gardens house is a bird park which she thought was really cool as well as an orchid garden and uh, she really liked the islamic arts museums and Kakosa, which was the governor's mansion but now serves a proper british high tea to tourists which sounds quite fun 
Yeah, and she recommended the craft complex as well. It's an alternative to the central market, and it's a bit more serious if you're after Bahasa crafts. Nicholas says that it's about six hours bus ride from Singapore to KL, which is much more enjoyable now, thanks to the recently upgraded fleet of buses, which is very useful to know. <laughs> These are comfy couches and personal TVs for the win. Yeah, that was recently upgraded back when we recorded the first one in March 2009. So. Well, that's a lot better than what I remember. The, I think it was about a 13-hour trip by train when I was 11. It was a yeah, long time. That's certainly better. So six hours versus <laughs> 11 hours on a rickety train? Definitely better. Uh, Sonia also uh, wanted to double up on that recommendation for the Batu Caves, um, saying they're monkey-rific. <laughs> and uh, she managed to check out some of the Hindu ceremonies at the various shrines, which we didn't see when we were there. So that's all good. She also says to be cautious of KL cabbies because they're notoriously nasty and consistently overcharge. So um, avoid taxis if at all possible. But if you must take one, try to get some help from a hotel concierge to make sure you actually get to your destination. We only took a taxi once or twice, and we didn't have any problems with that. No, that's right. And uh, But I know that your dad made sure the concierge always got him a taxi, because he had had problems as well. Yeah. And we also had James uh, James Rainbow on Facebook also recommending the Batu Caves being a must. He says there's also a good free walk that starts at the central market. We missed that. So. Yeah, it sounds like a really good idea because it's a good central location. It, it is. I can imagine there'll be a, a good walking tour from there. So check that out. We'll try and chase down a link for that for the show notes. And that pretty much wraps up everything that uh, we've got to say about KL, but there is certainly a lot more to discover. Yeah, I'd really recommend you go to KL and make sure to have at least four or five days that's how long we've had, and it's always been about the right amount of yeah. time. Even Although, though we've done it three times in well, order to right. pick up. There's always more to discover. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know. I like to keep moving. So <laughs> <laughs> four or five days is a good kind of get, get a feeling for a place and then move on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, don't forget the uh, IndieTravelPodcast.com slash forums page. If you want to meet other travelers, have questions answered, or just want to talk about what we talked about today or anything else that you could possibly want um uh, grab a grab an account it's free and join in don't forget that you can help the indie travel podcast stay traveling by booking through us so visit indietravelpodcast.com slash flights slash hotels slash tours and slash insurance when you're booking your travel online also you can visit indietravelpodcast.com slash deals for some great travel deals which update every day uh, the bookshop is still up and running at IndieTravelPodcast.com slash books. Uh, you can get a free sample of most of the books that we've got there and uh, buy the whole thing. Yeah, that'd be great. For some non-monetary ways of helping us out, tell your friends all about the Indie Travel Podcast. Invite them to our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash IndieTravel or leave a five-star review for us on iTunes. Well, that's us for this week. Until next week, travel well. <laughs>